parents in this country and kids are desperate for us to do something. They are frightened, they are anxious, and we will just add to their anxiety if nothing happens again. The question is, why would he have to tell the mayor who he was dealing with and uh, why isn't it just enough to say, well, I've got me on tape taking a bribe? There were three of us Democrats and there were two or three Republicans. We were all on the stage together, which was unique as you think about it. You mean none of the Republicans had been thrown off the ballot yet? (laughs) That was back when people could get the count right. You're listening to Pod Suey, the week's top story served a la carte. Subscribe at thegreatvoice.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Detroit Mayor Mike Duggan kicked off his week at the Mackinac Policy Conference with a press conference addressing allegations he outed an FBI informant in a corruption investigation into unfair towing practices after finding out the informant's identity from city councilman Andre Spivey, who was sent to prison earlier this year due to the previously mentioned investigation. Guy Gordon caught up with the mayor in the halls of the Grand Hotel minutes after he addressed the media. As a former prosecutor, you know how these corruption investigations work. You get the guy paying the bribes, you flip him, you get everybody else that you paid to. As a former prosecutor, should you have made a presumption that perhaps this man was going to be flipped? Uh, I did not have any information one way or another. What I knew was the case I'd seen was Celia Washington. Mm-hmm. They had wiretap Fiore. They got Celia Washington. They indicted them both. So I didn't have any other uh, frame of reference. And as I say, if anybody had said, hey, somebody's decided to cooperate, would you back off? We wouldn't. I have no idea. They okay. never contacted me. You're one of the shrewdest guys I know. That would have been the next logical step, right? If yeah. you would have flipped that guy? Again, you, you think about it. I was a prosecutor. Yeah. Okay? If you start out with everybody going to prosecute, geez, I wonder if they're a confidential source for somebody, you, you can't operate that way. If, if somebody's using somebody as a confidential source, they need to tell you. Mayor Duggan mentioned two names in his conversation with Guy, former Detroit Police Chief Celia Washington, and Gross Point towing tycoon Gaspar Fiore, both of who served prison time in connection with the corrupt towing practice investigation. Mayor Duggan also appeared on the Paul W. Smith Show. It certainly will be a memorable moment in my life when a sitting city councilman uh, tells me that uh, he took money from a, uh, a dishonest tower and was going to be indicted, uh, but uh, he never said anything to me about any confidential source. And, you know, I think I appreciated Matthew Schneider, the last U.S. Attorney's comments last night. You can't blame somebody. Uh, for revealing a secret they didn't know was a secret. That's a very good point. He's uh, a very good guy. uh, He he is, and I worked very closely with him when he was was, uh, the U.S. attorney. But this U.S. attorney's office has done an absolutely outstanding job. They've done an outstanding job on public corruption, but they are the national leader in fighting local gun violence. And and so I would have never done anything uh, that, uh, that undercut what they did. But what we have accomplished is, as a result of that, as terrible as it was that Spivey uh, got convicted, is the Board of Police Commissioners finally voted to eliminate this no-bid towing permit system that's been the source of all this corruption. And in the next two weeks, Paul W., we'll be sending the contracts to City Council that were fully bid with the towers who are uh, properly qualified, and we're going to be done with this once and for all. But I predict we're going to have a big battle this month because the towers who were left out are going to be fighting tooth and nail. And I suspect this Detroit news story was was one of the shots they're doing uh, to try to derail us. Uh, but I'm confident city council will do the right thing uh, and limit the towers to those who are qualified and who have uh, properly been selected in the bid process. 
Keith Corbett is a former assistant U.S. attorney focusing on organized crime, and he lended his expertise to Tom Jordan and Kevin Dietz on All Talk. When the government commences an investigation like this, they're looking for somebody on the inside who can be a conduit to finding other people who are interested in uh, accepting bribes or gratuities. And in this case, the uh, the tow truck driver or the towing company owner who became involved became a source for the FBI, uh, presumably because they had some kind of criminal case on him, uh, although it's possible he came in as a uh, disinterested citizen. That's pretty unlikely in these kinds of cases. And what happens is you begin to uh, develop a rapport with him and to find out who he believes is uh, willing to or has in the past accepted gratuities. And then you try to record those people, which is clearly what he did with uh, Spivey. And uh, it takes time and effort to develop a rapport with the uh, with the source. It takes time and effort to establish his credentials as somebody who's willing to, take, to pay bribes, usually with the government's money. And it takes time and effort to uh, establish the kind of investigative resources, surveillances, physical surveillances, possibly meeting places where they can make a recording where the the witness himself doesn't have to wear a wire, where you can bug the place in advance of the meeting if you meet at the same location on a regular basis. So it's a fairly labor-intensive effort by the government to to find somebody who's willing to be the bag man or the money man for uh, potential uh, public officials willing to take illegal gratuities. So is it dangerous for people who wear a wire? Is it dangerous if their name is leaked out while they're still recording people? Well, it it can be, obviously. You have to look at the nature of the people against whom you'll be testifying. Uh, You know, for the longest time I was involved in organized crime investigations, and obviously people were extremely apprehensive about the prospect of being uh, uncovered wearing a wire because uh, uh, the people they were involved with uh, were willing to take the most draconian measures uh, possible in the event that they felt they were being uh, set up. Uh, I would hope that uh, city councilmen and public officials uh, are not as willing to engage in acts of physical violence, but it's always a dangerous situation for somebody who's coming forward and and functioning as an informant for the government always. Does Mayor Mike Duggan's revealing of this identity of this confidential informant, does that now stop at least this portion of that investigation? Well, I would think that once his name is is out in the in the general public, and by that I mean the people who with whom he would be dealing, everybody's going to say you can't touch that guy. So yeah, he's obviously worthless as a potential uh, entree into any other public official would be interested in taking the kinds of bribes he was paying. Yeah. So so this revelation is is pretty serious. Pro- prosecutors say that Spivey, in fact, obstructed the investigation by leaking the informant's identity to Mayor Mike Duggan. That sounds like a crime, um, at least on Spivey's part. Is it possible that Mike Duggan is at risk of being charged for this? I, I think given the information I've been able to glean from the news media, that's extremely unlikely. It would be necessary to establish that the mayor knew that this was an informant and that the mayor was revealing this informant's name for the purpose of frustrating the objects of the uh, investigation, which seems to me... Uh, based on the record before, it's almost impossible to prove. I mean, it was a conversation between Spivey and the mayor when he gave the name of the uh, 
uh, truck driver or the tow truck uh, operator to Mayor Duggan, did he say, oh, this guy's an FBI informant and we have to let everybody know? I don't think that's the case. There's nothing in the record to indicate that. And that would have to be the case before you could put yourself in a position where you could consider charging someone with obstruction of justice. I'm, I'm trying to put myself in, in, in Spivey's head, which might be a dangerous place to be, but uh, I'm trying to think, why why would this guy, this guy is, is told, he finds out that uh, he's caught on tape uh, uh, giving a bribe to a tow operator, and, uh, and his his legal counsel is made aware of that, and, and Spivey decides to go to the mayor of the city of Detroit with this information. Is he doing this at this time hoping that somehow the mayor could help him with his legal problem? Or is he going there as uh, someone who says, oh, my gosh, this has all just hit me that I've been taking bribes and breaking the law, and, and that's bad. I should let the mayor know so that nobody else takes bribes in the city of Detroit. Well, that's the curious part. I mean, the fact that he went to the mayor, he may have felt that uh, uh, his role was going to be leaked or become public fairly soon. He was trying to... Uh, soften the blow. But the question is, why would he have to tell the mayor who he was dealing with? And uh, why isn't it just enough to say, well, I've got me on tape taking a bribe. And uh, and then the question becomes, uh, you know, again, I, I know Mayor Duggan's not a criminal prosecutor, but if if I heard that two people were involved in a bribe situation and there was a recording, I would immediately suspect that the person who you met with, in this case the uh, tow truck owner, is a wired person, right? Uh, because you know Spivey wasn't wired, <laughs> so, so yeah. who else would it be? And then you have to say, well, is he working for the government? I mean, that would have been the first thing I would have thought. Now, I, admittedly, I've been more involved in this than many people, but I, I still think a lot of people would say, wait a minute, how did they get this on a, on a recording? And the only way to do that was if one of the participants agreed to uh, to wear a wire, in which case you'd have to ask yourself, well, who is this guy and what's he doing? And, you would think that would be the logical question that Mike Duggan would have. I mean, he's a former prosecutor, too. So Spivey, here's the story. Spivey tells Duggan he was busted. Spivey knew it was a confidential informant that was used to bust him. So Duggan says he was told the, co- the towing contractor bribed Spivey, but nothing about the contractor being used by the FBI. So I guess, obviously, Spivey's testimony in this would be important. Um, you know, what was it that Spivey says that he actually told Mike Duggan? Right, right. What did he tell him, and, and what, if any, questions did uh, Duggan ask him? Uh, was this an inquiry into, uh, uh, you know, what the tow truck driver was doing or whether or not uh, he was a government informant? As I said, if there was a discussion of tapes, then you've got to immediately assume one of the two participants in the conversation had a we're, recording device. We're out of t- we're out of time, but would the uh, federal government be upset enough about this to go talk to Spivey and find out what he said? I'm sure they would like to talk to Mister Spivey. You now, whether or not he's willing to talk to them is a different question. Hmm. Uh, you know, because that, as I understand it, this was brought in the context of a motion to uh, impact on the sentence he already got. There's no indication that there were going to be additional charges. If we can't ban assault weapons, then we should raise the age to purchase them from 18 to 21. Strengthen background checks. Enact safe storage law and red flag laws. Repeal the immunity that protects gun manufacturers from liability. Address the mental health crisis. 
President Biden addressing the nation Thursday night, imploring Congress to pass gun reform legislation in the wake of another mass shooting at a hospital in Tulsa, a grocery store in Pennsylvania, among numerous others since the shooting at an elementary school in Uvalde, Texas, that left 19 students and two teachers dead just last week. Democratic Senator Chris Murphy of Connecticut and Republican Senator John Cornyn of Texas met virtually to try to lay some basic framework for some possible gun legislation at the direction of Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell. Senior news analyst Lloyd Jackson has the story for Guy Gordon. He also takes a look at some laws Florida passed in the wake of the shooting at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School. Hey, a bipartisan team of Republican and Democratic senators negotiating over a legislative proposal to respond to the mass shootings in Evolde, Texas and in Buffalo. New York are holding a Zoom call today to try and reach a deal on a basic framework by next week. Republican Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell has tasked Republican Senator John Cornyn of Texas to negotiate with Democrats. Cornyn says talks have been ongoing on the phone and in person. I hope we will try to look in a clear-eyed way at what happened and ask this question, what can we do to fix this problem? Senator Chris Murphy, the lead Democratic negotiator, says he's done enough of these negotiations to know by the start of next week if a framework agreement is likely. Right now, um, parents in this country and kids are desperate for us to do something. They are frightened, they are anxious, and we will just add to their anxiety if nothing happens again. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer says one way or another, there will be votes on gun control legislation when the Senate is back in session next week. Now, the Uvalde, Texas shooting is a reminder of a previous mass shooting back in 2018 in Florida at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, where 17 people were gunned down. They made some progress in Florida after that, but there's still some work to be done. Florida strengthened several laws after Parkland. Uh, gun sales for most Floridians who are under 21 are illegal. Also, there's that three-day waiting period on most long gun purchases. And Florida has the red flag laws where police can file risk protection orders against people who might be a threat and take away their guns. There are some other proposals that are still on the table, Guy, in Florida, such as more money for schools, for mental health screenings, and expanding mm-hmm. the red flag law so that families of gun owners can initiate those risk protection orders instead of just police. It's interesting because, you know, the re- reflexively, and if you listen to the Sunday morning talk shows, they're going to say, well, Republicans will never do this, and everybody's quick to point out what, what, they, what can't be done. But it yeah. does, as you point out, Lloyd, belie the fact that Republicans came together. 75 out of 99 GOP lawmakers in the legislature in Florida voted for this gun package, along with Rick Scott, who was then governor, who was yes. running for Senate. And and they really turned their back on, on this political liability that they think Republicans run so scared of to do what they felt was right within those circumstances and what they still call common sense solutions. And Rick Scott apparently was front and center on the Senate talking to Cornyn about exactly what they were capable of doing in Florida and what they accomplished there because he believes that it's time for, to do that on a national level. Yeah, uh, and absolutely. And, uh, the, you know, they Florida has really kind of taken a, a lead on this. And hopefully, you know, they can look at some of the things that have been done in Florida and how they came together to try to do this on a national basis on Capitol Hill. Right. And they faced the same withering assault from the National Rifle Association yeah. and others. And they did it in a political year. It was it was 2018. Yes. So it's uh, you know, that's why what's leading some folks to say, well, it could be different this time. Uh, there's also some some lessons here in, in the polls. And, and that is that uh, Morning Consult and Politico did a poll that they released, I think, just last Thursday. 
mm-hmm. 88% strongly or somewhat support uh, background checks for all gun sales. Uh, banning assault-style weapons, though the definition of that is a mushy, foggy thing at best, 67% yeah. strongly support that. Um, red flag laws, uh, making sure that you either take the guns away or don't sell to people that are uh, dangerous in terms of mental health, 84%. Um, so there's a lot of support back there. In some cases, 40 to 70 points net approval over those uh, that are opposed. There's even majority approval for uh, for arming teachers, if they so desire. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is a message here for Republicans in an election year not to be on the wrong side of where the public is maybe not necessarily the loudest voices in your base, but where the public in general is. Yeah, and I'm wondering, you know, how many calls these uh, senators and uh, congressmen are getting to their officers to say, hey, this there needs to be changed. There needs to be changed. I wonder if, you know, the switchboards yeah. are flooded. You know, uh, that as well, they, they need to listen to those people who put them there to represent them. Yeah, no question. I want to ask you something about this. We remember uh, back in the 60s, the picture of the Vietnamese little girl who was uh, burned badly by napalm. We remember Kent State, the, the girl standing over her friend's dead body. How graphic images like those can change public perception. Back in the 1860s, the earliest photographs of slaves with scarred backs yes. um, moved, moved people and their thinking. And now there's this drumbeat in the, in the New York Times asking the question, is it time to show graphic pictures, crime scene photos of what happens in these school massacres? And, and the dilemma from a media standpoint of whether you do that, both ethically and morally, and it's a business case as well, whether you will drive more people away than, than perhaps inform. Yeah, yeah. I, and, and I'm wondering, you know, should those pictures be shown just to the the policymakers who make the changes as opposed to the, you know, the people at large. You know. Yeah. Lloyd, thanks so much. Uh, not saying it's something I endorse, but it is something that others have brought up. And we have seen historically how photojournalism and graphic images can inform a public, shock a public, but also move them to action. Perry Johnson, James Craig, and Michael Markey have all lost their appeal to appear on the ballot as gubernatorial candidates due to lack of legitimate petition signatures. On the Democratic side, Governor Gretchen Whitmer is gearing up for her re-election bid, and she reflects back with Paul W. Smith live from the Mackinac Policy Conference. Four years ago today, you were up here debating four or five other Democrats to get where you are today. You know what? There were three of us Democrats, and there were two or three Republicans. We were all on the stage together, which was unique as you think about it. You mean none of the Republicans had been thrown off the ballot yet? (laughs) That was back when people knew could get could get the count right. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. It's just too crazy for me. But uh, so you're not running against anyone, but some Republican will be there. I eventually agree. Uh, What's it like now, four years later, looking back and looking ahead? Well, if anyone would have told us all the things we'd have to confront, oh, none of boy. us would have believed it four no, years ago. Right. And yet here we are. You know, we've been through some challenging times, but tough times call for tough people. And I think you were the one that said it, and I said it many times in my press conferences during the heat of COVID. Tough times don't last, but tough people do. 
And we are tough here in Michigan. We are. We've come through a pandemic, through a recession, through 500-year flooding events that swamped our highways. And You know what? we got to get rid of this 500-year event thing. Right. Because we had a flood in our basement, and they said, well, this is unbelievable. This is a once-in-a-500-year event. The next week, it happened again. I mean, that's a quick 500 years that went by we lived through. That's right. And, you know, I mean, this is, I think, part of why we've got to do our work when it comes to reducing our carbon footprint, as well as hardening our infrastructure and rebuilding. So we're moving forward on all those fronts. We've come a long way. There's a lot of good stuff happening. We've got a lot of stuff that we have yet to tackle. But um, I think I think we've got a powerful story to tell and work to do, and I'm excited about that. They'll do it for Pod Sui this week. For full episodes or anything else you might have missed, go to thegreatvoice.com. See you next time.